1: Hello and welcome to the Why We Argue podcast. I'm your host, Robert Talese. I am professor of philosophy at Vanderbilt University. Why We Argue is produced by Humility and Conviction in Public Life, a project based at the University of Connecticut, which explores how to balance our deepest commitments with open-mindedness, a respect for reason, and intellectual humility. The series, which is made possible by generous funding from the John Templeton Foundation, features brief discussions with publicly-minded thinkers about the state of civil discourse in contemporary democracy. Today, my guest is Michael Lynch. Michael is Professor of Philosophy and Director of the Humanities Institute at the University of Connecticut. Michael's most recent book is titled The Internet of Us, Knowing More and Understanding Less in an Age of Big Data, which is published by Live Right Press. Hello, Michael. Hi, Bob. How are you doing today? Good. So thank you for uh, appearing on our podcast. The United States, as you know, Michael, has just had a presidential election. And I think you will also agree. It was in many ways surprising. The polls seem to have gone badly wrong. Norms of discourse seem to have been challenged, maybe in some cases overturned. The role of social media in national politics seems to have shifted, or maybe it's true to say now that social media plays a political role that uh, has expanded in, in ways uh, that were uh, maybe unanticipated, and so on. So uh, I wanted to ask you uh, on the Why We Argue podcast, what do you think we should make of all this?
0: Well, I think what we should make of all this is what I think most of us, I mean, speaking most broadly, are making of it, which is that our democracy is in trouble. One thing that this, I've been thinking about a lot recently is the quote from William Butler uh, Yeats, uh, the best lack all conviction and the worst are full of passionate intensity. And it seems that rarely uh, has this, you know, <laughs> this warning about dogmatism uh, seem more apt. Uh, you know, we're so deeply divided. and This is what it seems to me the election has shown us. Um, that we're not only disagreeing about values uh, or even the facts, uh, which is typical in elections. Of course, you disagree about values and disagree about the facts. What we're seeing now is that we're really disagreeing over what the very meaning of a fact is. And as a result, I think that means that uh, the many of us in the United States believe that there's really no point in talking to the other side. I think, you know, why bother when, if you know it all already, and if you think that the other people don't even appreciate what facts are, or even understand what a fact is, then why reason with them? Right. Uh, so I, I think that gets at a real fundamental problem that we're facing. And I think the election in a way we, you know, for a while, we knew we were headed in that direction, Bob, but I think what the election did is it really stripped away any pretense that we were still working in a democracy conceived as a space of reasons. I mean, you think about democracies, you can think about democracy as, as you know better than I, um, in, in a number of different ways. And two, two basic ways always stand out to me. On one hand, you can think of it as a, a place, a democracies are distinguished as being places where we exchange reasons and that decisions are made in the ballot box or over the negotiating table and uh, it's a, decisions that are made where we see each other as participating equally in this shared enterprise. The other vision is that democracy and politics in particular uh, are – is basically w- war by other means. Right. Um, and it's pretty clear that that's where we are now in our country.
1: Right. But I, – I, so I, that, that sounds um... – at a descriptive level, uh, it seems to me to be correct. Um, the strange feature, at least from my point of view, uh, if I may uh, add it here, is um, the the war-by-other-means conception of democracy um, would, um, would entail that um, not only shouldn't people try to you know bother reasoning with each other or bother uh, talking with each other, but it also means that if 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 um, democracy is just is just counting the ballots and, and hoping your side wins, um, it also seems sort of hard to make sense of the um, sort of intellectual condemnation of the other side. <laughs> right. It seems as if the willingness of each side to condemn the other the the other side on intellectual grounds suggests that they're not aware that they're just fighting a war. They think that they are, they, we like to portray ourselves as the ones who want to be able to reason with each other. Does that seem right?
0: Yeah, that does seem right. And the Machiavellian way, of course, to look at that is that that's just a naked opportunism. And that in fact, people are just, uh, you know, as I said before, pl- there's a pretense of engaging in reason when, in, in, when actually what we're doing is engaging in manipulation and warfare. And, of course, some of that uh, that cynical view is very tempting. I, I think there is, however, a hopeful or, or a slightly more hopeful way of thinking about the phenomenon that you just so aptly pointed out, which is that there is still, I think, in the country and both on the left and the right, a perhaps now wistful longing for this other sense of democracy. And that wistfulness is important to hold on to because it signals that – there, there is deep down uh, still a longing, a desire to return to this other conception of democracy. And by return here, I don't necessarily mean historically. It's, of course, it's always unclear whether to what extent we've ever achieved our ideals, but at least return in the, in the philosophical sense to aim for this other conception of democracy. I mean, one way I have a thinking about this is that about this ideal is that, you know, democracy needs uh, it really, really (laughs) needs to aim at two things. On the one hand, we need to have our our citizens need to have conviction. Um, uh, An apathetic electorate is no electorate at all. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we also need to listen to each other and listening to each other means not just you know, uh, waiting for your turn to talk, (laughs) but actually, (laughs) right, (laughs) but actually listening in the sense that you say, think of yourself, you put yourself in a stance where you think, you know, I could be improved. I could learn something from this other person. And my own views are not perfect. That's the sense of, that's what we might call intellectual humility. The idea that our own belief systems can be improved by the evidence and experience that other people bring to the table. That's a core, I think, element of democracy. The problem is, of course, is that having conviction and having intellectual humility, those can bump up against one another. They can get into a state of deep tension because, after all, if you ha- the people who have the strongest conviction regard people who are willing to listen to the other side with suspicion.
1: One thing that um, that emerges in, in what you've just said about this tension, because I think that that's the right diagnosis. It seems to me that we um, have in our uh, sort of political um, uh, culture the idea that um, true commitment, you know, real conviction, uh, loyalty, um, political uh, clear headedness, is mm-hmm. in some way connected to the thought that one needn't listen to um, detractors or opponents, that is right. once you once you have the thought that you've you've characterized i think very aptly as part of democracy, that uh, other people's experiences, even if you think that and and views, even if you think they're wrong, can nonetheless um, uh, help you improve your own belief system that that is I think in our popular political culture that idea is, is, is looked upon as a, as a signal of a kind of um, weakness, either intellectually or politically or a failure of nerve or something. Does that seem right?
0: That seems exactly right. And, and That's,
1: that's very, very troubling,
0: right? <laughs> it, it, it is deeply troubling, and it gets at the point I began with, that you know, there is trouble in River City. There is deep, deep fractures in our democracy that go uh, um, to its very core I think one of the things that – and, and to, to elaborate on that point, um, what I think – one way of thinking about that is that we have a problem with um, the opposite of intellectual humility in this country. We have a problem both on the left and the right with uh, um, with epistemic or intellectual arrogance, and that's the idea that we are unimprovable, that we are – we, in a sense, know it all. And this, this, this has become uh, – increasingly and, and somewhat bizarrely uh, and then you just pointed to it not just a sort of problem it's become a value right for it's become a value the idea that it's something to emulate the idea of the, the unwavering uh a person who is completely confident who is certain they're right that never apologizes who does that remind you of it Reminds <laughs> you of course at least it reminds me of not of course uh of 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 our current president, right. Um, right. Uh, but and, – and so it, in this culture, it's perhaps not surprising that a lot of people gravitated to a person who epitomizes this idea for many folks of unapologi- unapologetically telling it like it is and not caring what other people uh, may say or do or think um, and, and, and being very clear about that, not pretending otherwise. Right. Um, Of course, this problem is deeply a problem on the left as well. Um, I mean, uh, talk about, you know, when we think about you you began with the fact that that the election really was came as a surprise to a large part of the of the population and it came as a surprise because the evidence and data that we had, which we now know was deeply flawed, was telling us, uh, and that is telling everybody on the left and the right, that uh, chances are that Donald Trump was going to lose. Um, and I think the sort of shock uh, that a lot of people felt was a sort of the shock of, of that comes when reality, you know, um, huh, punctures your bubble. And uh, I, I think it's a big popping sound is right. what right. that is. And the big popping sound scared the diseases out of a lot of people, and rightly so. And that may, I hope, get people to start thinking that what they need to do is um, start listening to other people. Now, the the thing is, is that doesn't mean that at the same time you give up your convictions. Um, It doesn't mean it at all. The puzzle, and in fact, I think in many ways, Bob, the puzzle of democracy, certainly the puzzle we're facing right now, is how – um we can maintain our political convictions which are necessary if democracy is to work and yet regain this sense of uh intellectual humility that democracy we both agree democracy needs that seems totally right to me so let me let me
1: mention to you sort of a, uh, an informal uh, I, I, I i i with some trepidation i call it an experiment it's not an experiment in any formal sense um right. That I've been sort of uh, quietly conducting, um, which is uh, in casual sort of conversations leading up to the election that might have occurred, you know, uh, on an airplane or in a coffee shop as a stranger. Um, I, I I started expressing um, uh, the um, the attitude of um, yeah. I, I I started saying I hadn't made up my mind about things. You know, yeah. when stuff would come, I was like, oh, I haven't, I haven't figured out what to think about that yet. Uh-huh. And I, I'm sure you could predict um, pretty well what the, what the standard response to that was, mm-hmm. which is this: people heard the absence of a sort of steady, ready to be announced conviction as right. a signal of lacking information. It was, if you didn't form a conviction about this thing, you must not know. (laughs) You must not know anything about it. Rather than seeing a possibility as a possibility, the thought that, no, when you know a lot about an issue, sometimes the the only real rational response is to, not in a strong skeptical sense, but to kind of sit back and try to weigh the reasons and not form a conviction. Something about the need to... Sort of form convictions as quickly as possible on the basis of whatever piece, pieces of information emerge quickest or loudest or most frequently. That's got to be connected to this uh, this trouble, don't you think?
0: I that is that is really interesting, and I think uh, it is connected to the trouble, and it brings up an, another big aspect of um, of what we're seeing right now in our in the country, and that is. The, how people are um, acquiring information and acquiring quote knowledge and quote about political matters and social matters I mean one of the really interesting things is is um, philosophically you're saying you're pointing out that folks are making this assumption that that uh, because you haven't made up your mind that you therefore don't know uh, which is sort of as you pointed out the flip often of of, of Uh, The fact that people who are actual experts on a topic often will, if the subject is difficult, want to acquire yet even more information. But I think it also shows that there is – our culture right now both demands and rewards speedy opinion forming. Okay, It demands and rewards it. It demands it because if you're engaging on social media, you have so many different things coming at you all the time. That in order to keep up with the flow of the conversation, you need to have you need to make a decision. You need to either like that thing or not like it. Mm -hmm. You press the little heart button or you don't on Twitter. You share it or you don't share it. You have to make those decisions. At least you think you have to make them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) uh, By the very nature of the of the you don't actually have to make them. But if you engage in social media, as many of the people listening will. I certainly do. You know what it feels like to have this sense like, oh, I should do something. I have to react to this. Right. And I only have so much time because, you know, there's a lot of other things to react to. So there's a demanding thing. On the other hand, you're also rewarded for that. You're rewarded because, of course, as you like things, other people like what you like. And so there is, you know, a lot of people are studying this right now. There's a real sort of serotonin aspect to this. And that feeds into our conversations offline as well. So that when you meet people um, who uh, you know are not settled in opinion or so forth and so on, it's not surprising that people will, won't be like, "Well, wait a second, how could you not? Right? Yep. Didn't you see that post? Huh. Yep. Did you see that I think thing that I shared? That explains everything." Right. That's so. the, and and so yeah. So the
1: it, it you know as you're just describing it, it's like maybe that's we can even sort of upgrade this way. Like this is another deep. This isn't just part of one trouble of democracy that that we've already been diagnosing and talking about. Maybe this is a deserves its own sort of (laughs) uh, it's its own thing. The um, all of the social media and um, all of the prompts and demands to form beliefs as quickly as possible seems to have an anti-democratic element in it for all. I mean, for the, for the reasons right. we've already been mentioning, it's like, well, there's, you are, you are expected, you are expected to form a belief before you even have the opportunity to talk to more than one or two people.
0: Exactly. I mean, this is a point that I, I try to make in the book. And, uh, I think you deserves even more extensive treatment. And I think, That is connected. I we were saying is another feature. I actually think there is a connection between the first part of what we were talking about and what we're talking about now. Before I make that, let me just add one more um, piece to the mix here. I think this is also the same feature that I was talking about. The rewards and the demands of response uh, is also helps explain why things like um, what has been called fake news, um, that is false news reports were influential and so widespread in yeah. the election. It's not the only thing that explains it. Um, but it's um, definitely, it's
1: definitely a feature of, of exactly. it's part exactly. of the explanation of how this can Certainly. happen.
0: <laughs> exactly. And one of the things that, um, uh, of course, one, one of the things that we saw and continue to see is that that spread, that manipulation of social media is something that, um, has had, you know, direct corrosive, immediate effects on on democracy, and I think there is no doubt that all of us have some role to play in that. One of the things we cannot overlook is the fact that there are um, that people like myself and yourself and most of the people who are listening who engage in social media have a responsibility to pay attention to the structure of the media itself, just like we have with television or with newspapers or books. The person who engages with these things has to be aware at how the, the the pluses and minuses and the very structure of the media itself, how it both rewards and demands things upon you cognitively. It cannot be that we're going to fix this problem just by asking Facebook to revise its editing policies. That's a piece of it. But that's not the only piece. And I think, I mean, that's why conversations where we identify these sorts of things are important. But if I may, let me just return briefly and make that point that I wanted to make, which is there is a connection here uh, between what we were saying and talking about earlier and and what we're talking about now. So earlier I I was making this point that we're living in this culture of epistemic that that sort of values arrogance and we're becoming a culture of know-it-alls, both the left and the right. And that's problematic for democracy. Um, the connection between that and, uh, what we're talking about now is that, look, social media is demanding, as we say, is demanding us getting us to form these opinions very quickly. And at the same time, by doing that, it's also, uh, increasing polarization. I mean, this has been, a uh, this, this point is now, of course, well known
1: Mm
0: -hmm. getting us to live in our little bubbles. And part of the mechanism of that is what we were just talking about, a mechanism which often isn't noted, which is this sort of requirement of speed of response. But the what happens is that itself feeds into the culture of arrogance
1: yeah.
0: in precisely the way that you were talking about. The person on the plane who is like, look, don't you know, I know, I saw the post. Didn't you, don't you pay attention to the facts? Right. That is the facts in the bubble that I live in. What the problem is, is that the bubbles that we construct, that we are constructing ourselves, we are the ones blowing up these bubbles around us. In doing that, we feed into the idea that we know it all. How do we know that we know it all? Just ask us. Just look at our Facebook feeds. They reinforce our beliefs on a minute-by-minute basis. And that goes for me along with everyone else. So there is a connection, I think. And that, that – it, it, they're distinct problems, but they are they – are right now, we are seeing an um, unprecedented toxic mix here of different fundamental problems working together
1: yeah that seems uh michael that seems uh in, that seems completely right to me i'm i'm sure you're not surprised to uh, to hear that <laughs> that we're on the same page about this um so uh, let me just um uh, we're, we're, our time is running short so let me um, just ask uh if there are any quick thoughts, I know it's it's a little ironic to ask for quick thoughts, given what we've just said, <laughs> uh, about, do you think there are any lessons we should take away, not only from the election, but from um, the features of our public political culture that we've just been describing?
0: Yes, I mean, I think one of the lessons that we have to take away is the one that I was just hammering on a moment ago, which is that we need to be able to, uh, uh, to remember each of us as citizens have a responsibility to try to demonstrate basic respect for persons and that we need to take responsibility for how we form beliefs. And and uh, that, you know, as often in democracy, part of the features of democracy, part of what's terrifying about democracy is that the fixes uh, really do begin with the citizens. And I think that's important. And that's important for people on the left to understand. Uh, people on my in my tribe really do need to understand Uh, that we ourselves don't know, uh, know it all. Um, I I also think that we need to remember that there is, of course, a distinction between, uh, you know, listening to and trying to improve our beliefs by listening to people who, let's say, voted for Donald Trump, and that, and, 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 um, and our relationship with the Trump administration itself. Those are two different things. I mean, the question, I think, The Trump administration does really embody this. uh, Many of the problems I'm talking about, but the problems of arrogance and, and actually, the relationship to the facts that is so troubling. And so I think you know, resisting uh, that attitude that is exemplified by uh, the president is is an important democratic function. But at the same time, we can't do that and also uh, always demonize the people who. Um who exercise a right to vote to vote for him, So that's where we are right now. and I think the lessons that we need to learn are, in that sense, less fundamental lessons of um, living in a civil civil and uh, civic society.
1: Well, Michael Lynch, uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, appearing on our podcast why we argue. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, for uh, listening to the Why We Argue podcast, which is produced by the University of Connecticut's Humility and Conviction in Public Life Project, with generous support from the John Templeton Foundation. You can follow the project on Twitter and Facebook at Public Humility. Thank you so much. Bye for now.